Welcome, everybody, to the Tokyo Artificial Intelligence Podcast, Episode 3, coming at you on April 20th. That's Big 420 to everybody out there. And in this podcast, we review trends in the AI markets, biometrics, as well as surveillance capitalism uh, fields of interest. I'm based in Tokyo, Japan, and I worked at a company dealing with AI for a few years, and I'm doing this podcast as a way to keep up to date with the trends from somebody who worked as a, um, I don't know, I don't know what I would say about what I was doing there, but it wasn't really that mystifying. Uh, just as a teacher, basically, teaching people about AI. Didn't know much about it. I didn't either. I researched a ton of it for four or five years, and here we are in the Tokyo Artificial Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to review three, uh, three ideas, three trends that are going on in the artificial intelligence field. Um, and I really like to focus a lot on surveillance capitalism and how Kanshi Shihonshugi and how these things work in our hands. I don't get too theoretical, uh, so let's just review number one. This one comes to us from a company called Axon Body Cameras. Axon Body Cameras, um, they're one of the most popular uh, badge cam providers for law enforcement in the United States. And recently, a lot of videos have been, you know, emerging on platforms like YouTube or Twitter, where you can see the kind of the view of the, from the police officer's perspective, but it's on his body, so, or her body, or Jure's body. So it's not exactly point of view from the eye, but it's point of view from the officer's um, body. Uh, and Axon has become one of the most popular ones because their videos are really good for evidence collecting. There's a bit of a fisheye camera lens to them, and they're really good at picking up audio, and they've been using more and more cloud-based technologies to help officers in the field use the technology with ease so that the officers don't need to be a camera or technology expert. The idea is you just push the button and the technology does its thing. I've been following this uh, company for a few years I noticed a lot of their videos on YouTube have their logo, the Axon company logo on them. And I noticed on some sort of news aggregate site that uh, they were planning on using facial recognition. So when I first heard about police badge cams, I thought, oh yeah, we're going to see all of the police being real jerks and we're going to see how jerks they are. But then a lot of these ones that get released, you kind of realize, oh uh, people are jerks, and um, some officers are jerks, but when people are caught in the act and they don't really want to admit to it, they turn into jerks, and of course criminals are jerks too. So you just kind of see that how many people turn into jerks, and I have a little bit of a sympathy with the officers for this. I used to work a lot in the restaurant industry in my youth, and you got people coming in with their friends, they're like, <laughs> and they look at you and they're like, yeah, I want this and I want it without this, and I want it with this. All right? You got that? Don't screw it up. And you make them the order, and then they say, oh, yeah, you didn't screw it up. <laughs> and then they go back to their friends, yo, dude, yeah, that was awesome last night. 
So people really can change depending in a heartbeat, depending on what they're doing. And the um, aspect of facial recognition cameras on these badge cams at first seemed like a terrifying idea to me. But the more that I see people turn into jerks when they're being caught by the cops, uh, it might be something useful. So we're going to go into a couple of things with this idea of using um, facial recognition um, on officer badge cams, because as more and more cloud technology is introduced and as 5G comes into play, reducing the latency and improving the speed of um, cloud-based transmissions, we can expect more and more police officers around the world um, using these, these, this type of thing. And it's not even the police officer's choice, right? It's, it's the bureaucracy that goes, oh, we can automate this and we can reduce the time for that. We're going to reduce multiple entries on X, Y, and Z so that instead of having our officers filling out forms, they're going to be out in the field and look at our bottom line. It's going to improve. Uh, so let's take a look. This one comes to us, I believe, from Forbes, and I will be publishing these links on the website, matthewpmbigelow.com. Let's begin. Axon Body Cameras. Axon, the largest manufacturer of police body cameras in the United States, announced Thursday that it will not add facial recognition to law enforcement body cameras until ethics issues have been resolved. Quote, it is not a technology we believe we should be commercializing right now, and the tech and the ethics aren't lined up, Axon CEO Rick Smith told Forbes. The ACLU commended, commended Axon on its decision to hold back on facial recognition technology in a statement that cited the Body Cameras Accountability Act, which prohibits the use of facial recognition and other biometric surveillance on law enforcement body cameras. The bill was passed in California last May and was approved by the Senate in June. This is American stuff. Uh, back to the article, Smith, the CEO, says that legislation might seem like a step in the right direction, but there is a value in companies considering the impact of their technology before the threat of government intervention, which is true. Um, Axon's redaction studio uses AI to find and blur out faces in video footage used by police. Redacting identities in some cases allows the footage to be shared publicly with the hope of increasing transparency, which is what I just said, right? Everybody turns into jerks, even though your face is blurred. Quote, let's say there's a police shooting and there's public outcry to release the video. The police have to go in and redact faces. In some cases, they only want to redact certain faces, but they need to leave others intact. In that case, you want to be able to teach the software this face, redact this face from all the videos, but this over the this face over here, do not. Smith says that this version of face recognition in policing could promote transparency. So instead of blurring somebody's uh, face frame by frame, you just teach the AI, you know, it will, it doesn't know your name. It just knows your face. So it will see your face and it will say, blur this face. And then it, for that whole video, the, the your face will be blurred. So instead of having a team of people in software and IT, and if one one frame isn't redacted, then that person's identity has the potential to be leaked, and then you get the lawyers involved. This uh, program uh, doesn't take the the from the from the from the body cameras camera at the scene of the crime or the incident. It's done at a later time. It's done in a in a in a laboratory somewhere or in a whatever the police use. Um. So 
nobody thinks about that really. When's the last, like we just, we just imagine police state, but we don't imagine using the faces to redact sensitive identities or anonymized identities or, or people that aren't affiliated with the crime uh, who would then may, maybe be later targeted. Uh, so that's a very interesting idea. I was looking at Axon's Enterprise's uh, 2019 fourth quarter earnings call, and I'll be putting this on the website as well, matthewpmbigelow.com. And I have a couple of quotes from the CEO of the um, Axon company here. And it's, it's a little, it's kind of selected. I just didn't want to read out an entire transcript or, or put it into Google Translate. So, you know, deal with me there. So let's take a look at what the company is doing in regards to considering its AI algorithms for its police body cameras for the Tokyo Artificial Intelligence Podcast with me, Matt Bigelow. Quote, We've doubled down on our mission to make the justice system more efficient, more transparent, and more equitable. We will leverage the power of artificial intelligence to enhance public safety, but with oversight from our industry-leading AI ethics board to ensure that we also cherish and preserve individual rights and privacy in the balance. We are emboldened as we look to the future from our strong base of execution our team delivered this past year. In 2019, we introduced the industry's first body camera with live streaming. Repeating. In 2019, we introduced the industry's first body camera with live streaming. And we went live with Axon Records. Uh, just a note, Axon Records basically automates record keeping. There we go. Uh, back to the quote. We also made significant investments in people and processes to improve further product launches. Q4 revenue of $172 million was up 50% year over year, reflecting record volume camera shipments. About 75% of our body camera units shipped in Q4 were Axon Body 3. Those were the live streaming ones. For the full year, we grew revenue 26% to $531 million. Axon products provide real value to our customers and the communities they serve. We are absolutely thrilled that customers are selecting our most meaningful and integrated bundles. We are going to keep innovating on behalf of this historically undeserved market, underserved market. And our top-line performance demonstrates that our customers are savvy and eager to adopt the latest technology. More than 100 agencies have adopted Officer Safety Plan 7, and more than 70% of those users are on the highest tier, which carries the most premium software features. So we can see there, I looked into their AI ethics board, and it's uh, what you would expect. It seems like a reasonable group of people. There's, um, you got uh, people reflecting uh, threats of, uh, against uh, you know, racial bias in, in algorithms and you got people from uh, AI, open AI and uh, a wide group of people. So it seems like they're taking this seriously. And the CEO released a book called The End of Killing or something like that. 
and he wants to introduce better and better and more and more proficient um, stun guns or tasers or whatever so that officers don't have to use guns to kill people. So even though we have this idea of a, of a, of a, of a badge cam company making half a million, half a billion dollars a year off of its facial recognition, off of its live streaming cameras for police officers, it, the, also the idea is to open up transparency and reduce the amount of time officers are spending filling out paperwork. They can be on the streets. Um, so I went to the Axon website and uh, looked at some of their promotional aspects for the idea of AI. And this one is digital evidence at the heart of the record. Uh, it's time for instant access. This is quoting from their website. Axon evidence, evidence.com. <laughs> this is where it gets really crazy is tied to Axon Records for quick reference of to critical data. Pull in digital evidence, evidence from tasers, cameras, and citizen smartphones. Axon Records is built to share and collaborate with involved officers, prosecutors, and across agencies. One big step towards automation. Multiply the impact of your officers in the community over time as artificial intelligence automates more and more routine tasks. Type less as ID scanning and transcription services speed up report writing. Data from your sensors will be collected and organized with records, digital notepad. So what's interesting to me here is that their, their, their products are called evidence. It's evidence as a product. And evidence leads to profits. So it really is surveillance capitalism. And it's a half a billion dollar industry uh, per year for this company. And they're seeing their year-over-year uh, year uh, profits go up. Uh, they're doing uh, real-time streaming, and that also involves transcription. So when you start talking, it will automatically start creating subtitles via you know AI text writing and things like that, which is getting really good. I've seen it improve leaps and bounds over the past five years. Uh, so that's that company. I, again, there you go. Are you going to stop it? Am I going to stop it? No. But is it happening? It definitely is. It makes um, everybody happy in the bureaucracy of a police department. But I'm happy to know that for now, this CEO seems to be sensitive towards the idea of keeping privacy as a major focus point of uh, consideration for holding back the development of artificial intelligence in police officers' live streaming badge cams. Uh, however, uh, who knows who com what comes next, right? There's always that idea. So if you want to hold some feet to the fire, Axon body cameras is a good step to look at. Next, we're going to take a look at Sumitomo uh, Dainipon and Royvant closed deal to form Sumitovant Biopharma. Um, Royvant is a very... Very interesting company. I managed to figure them out a couple of years ago. I mean, their 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 business model. It's very new. It's very creative, and it and it allows for a completely new way for pharmaceuticals to be developed. Am I a big guy on pharmaceuticals? No. Are they a huge industry? Yeah. Do they want AI to make more pharmaceuticals? Yes, if possible. So I was looking at um, 
some interviews with the CEOs and with some of the scientists that work at uh, Roy Vamp, and I'm going to review their business model before going into this news article. So the idea is that major companies, major pharmaceutical companies, have so much cost in developing drugs, they can't develop non-profitable drugs that are very helpful for everybody else. If you have ever looked at uh, buildings of pharmaceutical headquarters, it looks like 80% of it is um, waiting for papers to be transferred from one place to another place through a series of hands. Even though there's email and all these other things, there's these legacy systems built in, and they just kind of say, well, we don't have enough... uh, reason to develop these drugs that aren't worth billions and billions of dollars over the course of 10, 15 years, whatever, how long it takes. Uh, so we're not going to do it. Sorry. We have, we made investments. We have people who've written papers. We we know that these things exist and there's problems, but if we uh, invest our time and energy into these solutions, we're going to go to business. So sorry, pal, um, take your blue chew and shut the F up. Um, Blue Chew. Can you sponsor me, Blue Chew? <laughs> um, so what uh, Royvant has done is they're trying to create one central company called Royvant and then makes a huge amount of smaller companies that are filled instead of with administrative aspects of a big company. Uh, using that money to hire scientists, salespeople, researchers, and, you know, so on, more on the action side of things. And they want to automate the, um, the, the, the routine tasks of a typical company. That will reduce the cost of running a company to the point where um, researching and developing uh, pharmaceuticals for less um, profitable drugs becomes profitable. So you reduce the cost to the point where we're, we're pursuing the, the pharmaceutical um, development becomes profitable. That's kind of the idea. What, what, when I, from the back end to the front end is the Royvant central company will purchase a whole bunch of papers, um, published papers from uh, scientists in universities, as well as papers uh, from uh, inside of companies. A lot of companies make a lot of papers that never get really used. So there's a huge amount of data that's not being used. So Royvent will go in and, and let's say there's disease X. They will find as many papers about disease X in, in medical institutions and in universities and in companies they will then compile those into a library and then with machine learning or AI, which creates a search database specifically tailored to that medical ailment and the research therein, they will then make that data and search engine available to a team researching a, the, the, the teams are called VANTS, that's why it was called Sumitomo VANT, um, available to that group. And so now instead of waiting for people to send papers to you or looking through papers or reading papers and searching for diagrams with similarities or researching for key vocabulary, all that is in a machine learning database or a neural network. And all you need to do 
is like just like a Google search, basically, but tailored to that disease case. Search for things, things pop up, and then the company tries to make correlations between data points already published in existence but haven't been exploited for profit and find a way to exploit it for profit. Then the Vants work really hard to 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 turn that that research into a pharmaceutical um, drug. And it could be for like for adrenal glands or it could be for like for skin, some sort of dermatology thing. And um, if that drug can be put to market, the money that the drug is sold for will go back to the Vant, go back to the central company. And maybe if possible, depending on the negotiation process on the back end, go back, send some money back to the university publishers or the other company that had the data in the first place. So it creates a full circle of um, of a pipeline to get data to where it needs to go and interface with the market that then returns value to the people um, tailoring medications and pharmaceuticals to those ailments. Um, so there we go. It's a very interesting new approach. It's not like a giant building in, in Hamburg, Germany or in, in Shinjuku, Tokyo, where 10,000 people go to every day and spend most of their times in meetings and meetings and meetings and then more meetings for the meetings that were meetings because there were meetings, you see. There were, because there were meetings, we're having meetings. It eliminates that that glut in the um, larger companies. And that's that's the idea behind um, Roy Van. You know, I might not have got it perfect, but uh, I'm pretty sure I'm more or less summarizing it in a reasonable way. Um, so let's take a look at this article. This is from December 30th, 2019. In September, Roy Vance scientist, uh, Ro- sorry, in September, Roy Vance Sciences, Sciences, Vivek Ramaswamy's umbrella biotech company agreed to sell ownership of five of its Vant companies to Japan's Sumitomo Dainippon Pharma for $3 billion. Sumitomo Dainippon was also buying an equity stake of more than 11% of Roy Vance shares. You can see that this is serious shit, isn't it? The deal closed today and the holding company for the acquired companies has been formed with the name Sumitovant Biopharma. Again, every company that that makes a tie-up with Royvant is a Vant. The five Vant companies are Myovant, Eurovant Sciences, Enzyvant Therapeutics, Altavant Sciences, and Spirovant Sciences. Sciences! Spirovant is a new vant that focuses on developing gene therapies for cystic fibrosis. Sumitomo Vant Biopharma will be run by Myrtle Potter, a former Genentech executive or Gene Genentech, I'm not sure, Genentech executive who has been uh, the operating chair of Royvent since July 2018. Um, anything else? Let's take a quote. At Sumitomo Vant, our single aim is to make a difference in the lives of people globally by rapidly developing innovative medicines that are made even better by a technology-enabled approach to drug discovery, development, and commercialization, said Potter. Oh, basically what I just said, but I provided way more details. Quote, we value the strategic capabilities and know-how from Sumitomo Dainipo Pharma with its rich legacy of blockbuster drugs like Latuda. Their support, coupled with the experience of a proven leadership team, positions Sumitomo Vant to accelerate the pace of medical innovation for patients who need new treatment options today. Um, there we go. So I, th- I think it's actually pretty interesting the fact that 
you can unleash the potential of the researchers, the scientists, the salesmen, and uh, sort of hyper-focus them in these little companies and, and financially motivate them to release existing information to market so that it provides pharmaceutical solutions to people that need them but can't have them because the existing companies don't want to invest the money because of the amount of overcost. Uh, overhead that it takes to invest in that. But the overhead is not due to some sort of magical thing. It's just due to too many people shuffling papers around in a giant 50-story building for 25 years, you know? All of those people get invested in, in, in protecting their own jobs so that they will take as long as it takes to print off those documents and send them up to the 17th floor. And they might even take a, you know, a little bit of a coffee break and good on them and all that. But Hey, if you want these medicines delivered to market and there's not enough money to be made off of them by using machine learning and, and purchasing existing documentation and formulating that into a uh, subset of, of hyper-focused tiny companies. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of really cool. It sounds really fun, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure that it's a real ball ache to be in one of those vans and that the expectations of you are 24-7 and there's no such thing in your life as your life anymore. Uh, but I'm sure that they like to promote um, 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 individual freedoms in, in, in their YouTube videos. But good on your event. Really, really interesting. All right. Let's take a hold on. Moving on to the next and final company. Number three, Toyota and NTT joined forces on Smart City Platform of Platforms. Um, this is for smart cities. I don't know how you feel about smart cities. I'm not sure either, to be honest. Is it just a way to... Um, take money out of my account without me noticing, you know, or is it a way to provide green solutions for a happier, better future? Automotive company Toyota and Telco NTT uh, are forming a joint business to develop a smart city platform for local governments in Japan and beyond. The companies say their decision to team up is based on advances in their respective sectors and their existing activities in the smart cities space. In January, Toyota announced a plan to develop a prototype city of the future set on a 175-acre site at the base of Mount Fuji in Japan. Woven City will be home to full-time residents and researchers who will test and develop technologies such as autonomous vehicles, robotics, personal mobility, smart homes, and artificial intelligence. NTT is already collaborating with Fukuoka, Sapporo, Yokohama, Chiba, and other local governments and companies on smart city projects. It is also working with Las Vegas and Malaysia's Cyber Jaya on traffic monitoring prof uh, projects. The platform of platforms, the companies will now jointly build a smart city data platform incorporating mobility, housing, business infrastructure, and public services. It will provide data management as well as a digital twin based on the data. As well as serving as a platform for individual cities, the system will also link with other smart city platforms. And there we go. So Woven City. Uh, key vocabulary, everybody. Digital twin. This is a fascinating idea. The digital twin, from what I understand, is, um, you know, those technical manuals, maybe you've seen technical manuals of cars and each page has like the all of really well-drawn diagrams of, of some sort of motor and some rotor things and the, the chassis and then, and the axles of a car. And it's like a three inch thick, you know, 350 page manual and it's all really well done. 
The digital twin is basically that, but it takes all of the diagrams, all of the data, all of the measurements, and turns it into digital information that you can interact with. So uh, one idea is that you can um, load it up into an iPad and then the digital twin, you can zoom in on all the parts and see all the measurements and take it apart and put it back together. There's a VR aspect to it as well for training. And what's interesting is like, say if you were, if you were developing some sort of wind turbine uh, and you needed um, more information, the digital twin of the turbine, you'd be able to possibly select a, a a real digital turbine that's has a bunch of sensors on it and import the sensors in real time into your iPad application or VR application and then see what as what is what the environmental factors are in real time but in a digital space so if you wanted to make some adjustments the physics would would tell you if the blade would spin faster or slower or what type of oil you might need to replace some sort of component in there and you can also use digital twins to send it uh, on the edge computing in fog and iot to um, preemptively predict uh, maintenance issues and things like that um, i'm not sure how how reasonable it all is to be honest but this smart city platform takes data management information distribution as well as the digital twin simulation of city development and it splits it into two parts one part would be to um, the information and communication network and then the other part would be to another information and communication network where one side would take control over city assets um, such as, you know, government buildings and factories and, and uh, public transportation. Then the other side would also uh, take a look at the services, things like education, industry, pub, um, life and medical health. So I'm not exactly sure how this is working. I'm just reading off of an image, but it would separate the data into probably highly secure government data and publicly available um, app-based data for people to interact with the smart city through their smartphone or through AI cameras built into lampposts and things like that. Um, so the amount of... People are investing billions of dollars into these things and it's a very different approach. This is a basically preemptive 5G in their... And in the Toyota case and the NTT case, they're using empty lots that they've, they've they've used in the past. But because of the shrinking population in Japan, they have all this infrastructure that exists, but it's not really being used. So they're using it as a kind of a, a real, um, as an external research and development center where you don't have a bunch of people in lab coats in, in CERN shooting protons and photons through you know, cables at some mysterious project. They're, they're like, okay, here's a bunch of buildings. How can we wire them up with the latest 5G AI technology and see where we go from there? So it's pretty interesting, a lot of billions of dollars. Um, for me, though, my personal approach is if this is going to be the cities of the future, uh, okay, that's the city of the future. I don't mind the the technology to reduce crime, but again, I don't want police officers knowing if I was late on my taxes a few years ago by a couple of months, uh, just by scanning my face with a with their glasses. That's ridiculous to me. Uh, so 
I'm not sure, but kind of my approach right now is to bracket the technology and put it into specific applications. But when I get home and I close my door, I don't need a smart fridge. I don't need a smart car. I don't need a smart stove. I don't need a whole bunch of shitty electronics and sensors put into everything that are going to fuck up 45% of the time. I like wooden tables in my house. I like steel forks or whatever they are. I don't need all this smart crap in my home. Uh, but in the, in, the, in the infrastructure of a city, and even recently because of the COVID-19 COVID uh, virus and all that, I have been using my uh, smartphone for making uh, digital payments using PayPay. Uh, to buy stuff from convenience stores. And you can even hold up the barcode to somebody with a scanner. They scan it from afar and then they scan your phone and it sends a $2 purchase over the network. Of course, that's tracked somewhere. So there is the idea, oh, you're being tracked. But if all of this infrastructure is going to be rolled out anyways, uh, tracking is going to be part. It already is. It's, it's already everywhere. I mean, they just need to hassle themselves to collect all of the the data themselves by going places and requesting information for it and then businesses comply or not comply but they usually comply um so yeah have it outside of my home but not in my home and that's where i draw the line i don't need it in my home i already have enough digital crap in my home i don't need i don't need Toyota sensors and NTT sensors and Axon or Axos uh, cameras floating around my home checking to make sure everything is okay. I want my home to be a cave. And when I get out of the cave, uh, there's enough um, infrastructure provided for me to live uh, as a city dweller, some sort of existence that I can put up with without having to feel like Big Brother's always breathing on my ball sack. So that's going to be the... Tokyo AI podcast number three coming at you from Tokyo, Japan. I'm Matt Bigelow and thanks for listening.